Swing and a line drive left field. Benintendi coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did. He got it. Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High drive. He crushed it. It's a grand slam. Swing and a miss. Thankfully, it's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. For baseball fans across Red Sox Nation, MLB fans from around the league, and the Yankees fans who can't get enough of hating us, welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering the Boston Red Sox. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and literally every single platform imaginable, and we are downloaded each week in over 30 countries across the planet, according to PodTrack.com. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set with the Baltimore Orioles winning the series uh, two games to one. News out of Fenway, manager Ron Renneke told the media on Wednesday that he expects to talk to High and Bloom about his 2021 status at some point in Atlanta this weekend for the final series of the season. News from around the league, Indian starter Shane Bieber and Red starter Trevor Bauer both put final stamps on their inevitable Cy Young Awards this week with lights-out performances. Newly acquired Padres starter Mike Clevenger suffered a sprained right elbow after exiting Wednesday's game in the first inning. His status for the playoffs is uncertain. Once again, I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine, and I am joined tonight from Westwood, Massachusetts, uh, Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing better than the Red Sox' current draft position, which they somehow (laughs) managed to screw up in this season of screw-ups. Like, unbelievable. I mean, jeez, but... Other than that, I'm doing great. Yeah, we might get stuck drafting another Arkansas Razorback in the seventh position. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. goody. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. And then the bad news is Atlanta really doesn't have a ton to play for, so who knows uh, what type of effort they're going to put forth. So, But we will find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, also joining us tonight from the mile-high city of Denver by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Dwan. Andrew, I'm guessing you're even more pissed off about the draft situation. Terry, I swear to God, if we pick seventh, I'm going to have to go take like a retreat in the desert for like three months. I'm just going to be livid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do a bunch of peyote and just forget about everything that just happened over the last 60 games. I love listening to you guys talk about prospects because, admittedly, I'm not as up on it outside of the Red Sox system. And uh, but I just kind of hope that Bloom, you know, just finds that hidden gem that's kind of under the radar. Uh, it sounds I'm like I'm kind of hope Bloom pitches next game. that's where i'm at i mean of all years you need a high pick it's this one because who the hell knows all these guys have had an off year you know no training no games like high schoolers you know what are they gonna do these prep kids 
they're doing nothing at home. So, True. yeah, you can't afford to slip all the way to the eighth, which is the, you know, that's their floor right now. They, they could potentially pick eighth. Yeah, maybe Renicky will just say, hey, the whole team has COVID. We forfeit these games. That might be. They, the, it's uh... not too late to opt out. Yeah, that's a uh, dumpster fire team. You know what? We will. I will get you guys' thoughts on uh, Dombrowski later on. That was another. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, uh, I, had, I had a nice little 20 minute uh, rant on him the other day. Uh, yeah. Oh, speaking of rants, mm-hmm. I just want to read this uh, on the podcast because I, I do like to interact with uh, people that follow us. Um, we got somebody pretty upset on the last show, and Jason, you were with us, but I think this is mostly mm-hmm. a Charlie thing. But uh, we got a one star rating. Um, and, and actually, to be honest with you, someone told me he's really familiar with how all this works. Any, any ratings and comments on there, positive or negative, improve your metrics on iTunes. So if you guys are listening, (laughs) if you guys are listening (laughs) in the audience, it helps us out immensely. If we piss you off, go ahead and, and rage on, you know, in the comment section of the reviews. If you think we're doing a good job, you know, then mention that as well because it it just it it positions us better on apple Podcasts than some of our competitors but here's what this guy said and he was really upset one star rating he says i like this podcast until today this was a great podcast until their unacceptable tirade about jd martinez calling him a bum and talking about how He's terrible. Is ridiculous. The guy has been a stud since he got here. I was okay when they started criticizing him since he has been having a bad year, but they got very disrespectful. And then this is my favorite line of it all. He ends it by saying this. I might keep listening to this pod, though. Not sure yet. So once... you know what, Scott Boris, just click and subscribe. You don't have to listen. You don't need your little <laughs> shitty little burner accounts. We, we get it. All right, you're gonna opt back in. I wish I thought of that when I tweeted this because that's brilliant. Maybe it was him. It's just a bunch. And you of... know what? It's his intern, actually. Yeah, he gets the I... coffee and has the burner accounts. <laughs> I feel bad because when you when you shared this with us, I said, "Oh, well, you know." Studs don't hit 215, and I, I apologize so much because his average did go up after the Baltimore series. He's actually hitting 217 now, so I'm so very sorry. Race, right? Yeah, yeah his, his average did go up to 217, so, you know, apparently that's that's great. He's still a stud, quote-unquote, so I'm, I'm very sorry. Well... Hopefully he accepts your apology, Jason. Yeah. It sounded sincere yeah. to me. Um, all right. Yeah. So for the final time this season, we will get into studs and duds. I guess to keep it interesting, uh, Jason, we'll we'll put you in the leadoff position tonight. Who was your stud for the series? I went with Nick Pavetta. Um, I was actually very impressed. So... I wasn't sure what to expect with Pavetta because he's had such a rocky 
career up to this point. And, you know, you hear from everybody, he never figured it out at the major league level. Um, he's got decent stuff, but he can never put it together. He kind of put it together um, in the first game of the series. He, now, he only pitched five innings, but eight strikeouts, only allowed one run. He did have three walks in there, but he threw 96 pitches. Most of them were strikes. Um, I liked his stuff. I liked the way he looked, you know, and this is kind of along the lines of what people were saying. It's like the stuff is there. It's just a matter of can he put it all together and can he command a game to the point where he's able to shut down an offense with that stuff. And at least against Baltimore, he did. Now, whether or not that translates to long-term success over the course of a long season, I don't know. A a guy with a career ERA over five, it's kind of hard to say that, especially given his age. He's been at this for a while. You know, he's, what, 27? So um, I'm mildly encouraged because maybe he just needed a change of scenery. Maybe he just needed a different pitching coach, a different pitching program for, you know, people to look at his stuff and go, oh, yeah, you've been doing this back in Philly. Well, maybe you should do this. This would be better. And maybe that changes approach and maybe he'll be better off. Um, In terms of next season, whether or not I want to see him in the rotation, sure. I, I mean, at this point, what do you have to lose? You know, I mean, you're hoping that you get Erod back, which who knows, given what he's gone through. Chris Sale will be coming off of Tommy John. Um, Nathan Avaldi theoretically, should still be here. Um, and then Martin Perez, you bring him back. So, you know, and obviously Tanner Hook, you know, mixes into the combination there. But I wouldn't mind Tanner Hook getting a little more time in the minor league system to kind of really refine his craft. So, look, you traded for this guy. Obviously, Kyan Bloom sees something in him, and he looked good in his first outing. And I don't think Baltimore is necessarily a joke of an offense anymore. I think he went up against a legit team, and he looked pretty good. So I'm mildly encouraged, and it was way better than I expected. So all around, I was very pleased. Well, shout-out Brandon Workman. Yeah, 13 (laughs) innings pitch, 10 earned runs. That's what's uh, got us Pavetta. What a horrible trade for Philly. What an amazing trade by Bloom. Like, how do they pull this off? We we don't even know what Seabold is. If he never pitches a game in the majors, we won this trade. It's not even close. These guys, Hembry and Workman, have let up, like, 25 runs in just over 20 games. This is amazing. I, I couldn't be happier with what I saw from Pavetta. He looked like trash in uh, the Pawtucket games. Maybe trash is a little harsh, but he definitely wasn't putting guys away with any secondary offerings. And for him to come up and, what, he punched out eight guys, seven guys? It was amazing. So even if he's a fourth or fifth starter, this is awesome. So, yeah, thank you, Brandon Workman. Thank you, Heath Hembry. You guys did your job, and you continue to do so. And, uh, yeah, Philly, um, uh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know that trade was all about timing if that oh my God, yes if that trade happens uh you know a couple weeks later i know the deadline was was what it was but maybe maybe we're not maybe we get pavetta but not seabold i have no idea but those guys went straight into the toilet 
immediately after getting there. Hembry has a has a flexor strain or some type of issue again. So he's well, he's done. He's never pitching there again. He's all screwed up. Yeah. And another way we lucked out here was that it was a short season because what were the chances Workman and, and Hembry were going to keep it together until July 31st with a March 28th start or whatever it was. So so Zero percent. we got very yeah. lucky with the weird circumstances of the season to get, you know, those two guys. And Pavetta looked very good. I was really curious to watch – that start, and he will have one more. We'll get into it later. He's going to pitch the final game of the season in Atlanta. But um, but he had a somewhat shaky first inning. Two of his three walks in in the game came in that inning. and But he just kind of locked in right after that. And admittedly, I hadn't really seen him. You know, the, he's been in the majors since 2017. I didn't realize he was part of the Jonathan Papelbon trade when they sent him to the Nationals and then Philly got back Pavetta. But, um, but yeah, love, love what I see. I don't remember where I saw it, but someone apparently in the Phillies organization told the media that they weren't surprised that the Red Sox wanted Pavetta. So, you know, I think they were just frustrated that they just couldn't quite get him over that hump. This might not be the best comparison, but if you go back to like 2016 with with Erod, like once every four times out, he would, you know, pitch a a quality start, maybe even a borderline gem, and then he would suck for a few more games. And I think that's kind of the rut Pavetta has been in. And hopefully, I keep mentioning Dave Bush. I mean, we have seen guys hmm. turn it around this year, so I'm just hoping he's. You know, he's an undiscovered genius when it comes to pitching, and and maybe our program is going to be one of the more, um, you know, elite pitching programs, you know, in the league from a coaching and analytical standpoint. So I can't wait for Sunday to see what he does. Yeah, these these Pavetta trades, these are the ones I love. Where you're not giving up much, but you're getting the change of scenery guy back because it's just, it's a wild card. I love those. You know, you get this guy, he has all the talent in the world. If he puts it together, then holy shit, you look like a genius. And if he doesn't, what'd you give up? Workman and Henry? Like, who cares? <laughs> so this is, there's nothing but upside here. So we have another, what, four years out of him? This is a, this is a great trade. And like I said, I don't even care if Seabold ever pitches for them. This is an absolute win right now just to have this, uh, this lottery ticket going forward. Well, I- yeah. And, and what you said about Erod, that, that Eduardo Rodriguez trade, that's what you hope for with Pavetta is that, you know, next year or two years from now, He's in the rotation, or he's at least contributing really well for this team. And you go, wow, why did the Phillies ever give up on this guy? And why did they trade him for two 30-year-old relievers who, you know, stink right now or who don't have much left? Like the postseason. Yeah, like that's what you hope. (laughs) That that, that would be ideal. Is Clentac going to get fired from the Phillies here in a week? I, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, I would love to say yes because he probably should, but no, I, 
I don't know. That organization, I can't figure out what the Phillies want, exactly what they want to do. They seem to accumulate the weirdest bunch of talent, and everyone every year goes, oh, the Phillies, you know, look out. Here they come. Look at that lineup. Look at that rotation. And then it just all falls apart. So yeah. he probably should be fired, but I don't think that he will. I yeah, you, you, know, you just reminded me of something. This Phillies team is, I don't know if you guys used to play those MVP games for like two, for uh, PS2, but if you did a fantasy draft and your team made no sense, that's exactly what the Phillies are. There's no rhyme or reason. It's like, all right, we got Harper. Okay, we, we traded for Real Muto. He's gone. Like what? That was a There's bad zero trade. direction. There's no like ever flow to the team. It's like, all right, we got speed at the top. We got this. He compliments him. It's just like, what? What do we got here? Yeah, I think he. I think he could get fired. Really. I mean, that trade almost single handedly sank them. You know, from playoff contention, and it wasn't going to be that difficult for them to get in. I mean, a couple of teams that are either 500 or a game under 500 are still mathematically in contention and i mean if you don't get in when there's eight teams on each side that's pretty bad and ruben amaro though i listened to him over i was last weekend now and he wasn't expecting um clintac to get fired i i was listening to him on a phillies podcast and and so, I mean, you, you could be right, but I just feel like a year from now, or not even a year from now, next June or July, you know, the Phillies ownership is going to be like, why didn't we just can him and get a fresh mindset in here? It's just, it's, it's just too late, yeah. I think. But the Phillies realistically could be looking at last spot in division for years to come. Yeah, and that that on that same podcast, it's called Hitting Season. That's the the Phillies podcast. Is that what he's doing nowadays? I I lost track of him after what he was our first base coach for a season, right? Oh no, after he, he got fired, he was really? just he was just a guest on it. But um, oh, okay. he's some type of no, he works for their NBC affiliate. So huh. um, so he's uh, like a studio guy, kind of like Wakefield or whatever. But. Um, but the the host of the podcast said that they could be just simply looking at another rebuild, <laughs> and uh, it's just it, crazy. Jesus, yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. And and you know they're they're facing a rebuild, but they gave Andrew McCutcheon three years, fifty million. Uh, like, what are you doing? Dumb. So bad. <laughs> like, why? Ugh. That's a that's a team I would not want to be a podcaster for. Just not Oof. not much fun. But yeah, like they're gonna lose Real Muto to the Mets once Cohen walks in. Like he's gonna be their free agent signing. And what, Harper, what, what's Harper gonna do for you for the next twelve years after this? The, uh, oh yeah. God! Yeah, I'm glad I'm not a Philly fan. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Girardi can get him straightened out in a year or two, but who knows? At least they have Sixto Sanchez. That's that, that's good. <laughs> Marlins, Marlins. <laughs> I I was the only Oopsie. one. We had a hot stove podcast the winter before last, and I was the only one out of three who was saying this is a terrible trade. You know, Real Muto is only controllable for for three, no, two years, as it turned out, and 
they disagreed with me and it's just yeah but we come from an organization that doesn't really value um you know offensive catchers so <sighs> yeah all right so nice pick with Pavetta I I hope he ends up being a no worse than a number three because I, I think there's the, the potential for that. Like, before we do move on, like, what's realistically, what's a good comp that you hope he turns out to be? I mean, is is no, it, okay. is Red Sox John Lackey, is that too high? Or do you think it could be a similar ceiling? Regular season John Lackey. Like that one? Yeah. I, 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 I pretty damn happy with that i think so i just i'm just trying to figure out what's realistic but i mean it's hard to know obviously but i think you know with a with a fastball that tops out you know around 92 93 you know with some finesse i just feel like you know he'll win often enough probably be a mid threes mid to upper threes era guy you know on on a decent year so but yeah, all right. So uh, let's see, Andrew, who's your stud for the series? All right, I had Nate Evaldi. He had a really good outing the other day. Scattered seven hits throughout six innings, struck out eight guys, kind of like Pavetta. Um, really good outing for him. So he finishes the season on a strong note. Gets his ERA below four. So um, yeah, he finishes up well. Hopefully, we're looking at him as our number three or four starter next season um but yeah he uh he looked good so no complaints out of him other than the fact that they won the game um but that's not hard to do when the other starter lets up seven runs in two innings pulls a uh, a matt hall so yeah he, he pitched really well the other night so i gotta give it to him jason yeah evaldi looked good and um I've been firmly on the trade of Aldi in the offseason train, but uh, I've I've definitely changed my mind on that because I just, the more I think about it, you have no idea with, with Erod. It, that's such a question mark going forward that who knows if he'll, if he'll be back on time. Chris Sale's coming off of Tommy John. You need Through this guy. Today, right? Is that what they said on the broadcast? Did he what? He threw today. Yeah, he's. Oh, I yeah, I think he did. Yeah, yeah. he's been throwing. I think for at least a week or two. Oh no. Yeah, it might just be like long toss or something, but yeah. So he's throwing. I saw something, or maybe it was on Nesson. No, it had to have been an article where they said they're hoping for one or both of Erod and Sale on opening day, and I'm just like. I don't think that's realistic because he can't start throwing aggressively like you would in a, you know, a, a March spring training game. That'd be so dumb. That would be, yeah. Cause they say 12 to 18 months. So I guess that would be 12 months, but that's like, he, I would say June or the all-star break, assuming it's a normal season for sale. Uh, yeah, Erod, I'm a little more optimistic, and I think they'll really have a good idea as far as where he's at well before spring training. You know, I mean, if he's jogging a couple miles a day, for instance, you know, I, I don't know what his rehab program's going to be, but I just feel like they'll know, 
you know, if there's any, you know, after effects from the, the myocarditis that he had as a result. You'll know if they signed two starters. <laughs> <laughs> True. True. I mean, we they got to yeah. sign one, you know, even if it's not the guy we necessarily want. Although, if it's one guy, I'm going to be really pissed. But, um, mm-hmm. Strowman. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, but getting back to Eovaldi, um, yeah, I mean, I just can't see him getting traded in the offseason. You can never have too no. much depth. Yeah, and that was that was one thing that I always thought just because of the value, right? I, I was only looking at the value, and I thought, you know what? he's He pitched well in a shortened season, capitalized on the value because this is a team that is looking to rebuild. You want to build up that farm system as much as possible, but you do need some stability in your rotation. You can't just – you can't say, you know, if Sale and Erod aren't ready – you can't sell to your fan base, hey, Martin Perez is our opening day starter. That just doesn't work. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think you keep Evaldi here. You've got him under contract. And look, if he pitches well next year and Sale and Erod are healthy and they look good and maybe Pavetta looks good, maybe then you look at trading him, right? Maybe then you say, oh, no, we've we've got pitching depth and, you know, we don't need Evaldi, so let's trade him for, for some prospects. Maybe that's what you do. Yeah, totally agree. I think he's definitely um, blow me away trade bait where you're absolutely not looking to move him, but should a desperate team call you up, then you have the conversation. But yeah, he, he you can write his name in, in pen for next season. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to give you 150 innings. He's, he will go on the DL for something. Oh, yeah. You know, and a $17 million a year pitcher should get you at least 115 innings. But, but realistically, those are Dombrowski dollars. So we, <laughs> we have to, uh, there, there's a weird currency exchange that you have to, there's a whole formula. I, I, it's, it's too hard to explain. <laughs> yeah. Well, we might have to explain it to Angels fans. But, um, <laughs> with, with Evaldi, he's kind of to me, and I think I've said this at least a time or two, he's the bridge to Chris Sale. Just give us a bunch of quality starts until you can activate Sale, and then anything after that's a bonus, assuming the rest of the rotation is is pitching well. So, yeah, I mean, it was a great end of the year. I'm trying to get his uh, final ERA. He got under... 372. 372, okay. That's really good. I mean, that's literally like if you're like, what is the best year you can get out of him? I think that's it. I think that's what you ask for. Yeah. And you know what? If you told me that, you know, mid-July as the season was was creeping up on us, I probably would have been happy with that because, you know, he had the, the loose body surgery, which kept him out a couple of months last year. And then he sucked. You know, he... They put him in the bullpen, and then sale and price went down. So then they had to put him back in the rotation out of necessity, and it was just he just couldn't quite find it. And you know, and coming into this year, I'm like, you know, what if the elbow problem happens again? What if he just doesn't have it anymore? You know, from a performance uh, aspect, and and he was really solid. I mean, I'm still surprised he had a calf issue of all things, but. 
Um, but yeah, and he only got tuned up once really bad, and that was against the Yankees in their zero-gravity stadium, which doesn't have a humidor. Um, yep. So, you know, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, get on him for that. But yeah, so my stud for the series, and there were plenty, well, enough that were worthy. Um, I'm going with Kevin Ploiecki. He's been a great backup catcher, uh, offensively at least, which we didn't have. We had a great backup catcher last year, in my opinion, in Sandy Leone, but different skill set, you know, with, with game calling and whatnot. But I'm just extremely impressed with Ploiecki's ability to slap balls the other way. He had a uh, three for four game on Wednesday night. Uh, came into the game late uh, tonight on Thursday to, um, you know, take over for Vasquez and got a hit in in his one and only plate appearance. So, just very stout at the plate. I did have time to look up a couple of stats here. Uh, in 14 innings with Nathan Evaldi, which spans three games, Evaldi has a 0.64 ERA with Ploiecki catching him. Ryan Weber in three games, these must have been all relief appearances because it's only four and two-thirds innings, has a 0.00 ERA with Kevin Ploiecki <laughs> catching him. So uh, not a big sample size, but you know it's a good indicator that he can handle a bullpen probably. The one starter who is basically the only other starter, uh, Martin Perez, has an ERA over seven. So... Um, so he doesn't match up with Perez very well, but you know, in a backup catcher, you're probably looking for him to take two out of every five starts, maybe, maybe one out of every five, depending. But you know, if you can, if Evaldi's stats are that spectacular, not that 14 innings is a huge sample size, but still, you know, if if you got a solid track record with one pitcher, that's your excuse for you know, for. Trotting him out there, and they had him mic'd up recently. I think it was last week, and he's funny. You know, his interactions with his teammates are good, and I just see him as a guy that would very positively influence younger talent, guys like Tanner Houck and whatnot, um, very well. So he's a guy I, I'm kind of hoping they, they keep around next year. I um I like Plowecki and I I agree I would like to see him back next year. Um, the offense is a surprise because he's never really hit throughout his career. He's always been known as sort of a better game caller, just sort of a steady catcher back there defensively. So the offense has been a surprise. And granted, it's a shorted season, right? So you take that with a grain of salt. You know, and in a full season, he probably wouldn't hit three twenty like he is now. Um, my only concern with him, and maybe it's not as big of a deal because I feel like the stolen base is sort of a lost art, but career-wise, he's only thrown out 23% of people who try to steal off of him. Um, and he's had a couple of really bad years. Like last year with Cleveland, he allowed 24 stolen bases and only threw out seven of them. So he's a guy you can run on. He doesn't have a good arm back there at the plate. So I worry about that just a little bit. Again, 
I don't know how big the stolen base is these days. I feel like it's kind of going out the wayside, but you are in a division with the Rays and the Blue Jays who have young athletic guys who will probably run on you. So that part of his game concerns me a little bit, but otherwise I've liked what I've seen. I didn't really think much of anything of the Ploiecki signing when we got him, you know, heading into this year. Because, I, again, I just knew him as a guy who couldn't hit and just was good defensively. So I was like, okay, it's just Sandy Leone all over again. Um, but he's he's looked pretty good. I would have no problem with them bringing him back next year, being the backup to Vasquez. And, you know, I have no idea what's going to become of Connor Wong or any of the other catchers in their system. But Plowacki's a good, solid veteran that you should bring back for another year. Well, good news is he's only arbitration three eligible next year and somehow arbitration four in 2022. So they're going to have him for cheap money because there's no way he's going to be making over two and a half um, by the end of that deal. So, yeah, he's he's just another great find by Bloom there. Um, yeah, like like you said, I wouldn't want him catching more than what, maybe 30 percent of the time. 40% of the time, he's a great spot guy, but um, that's that's pretty much what you need out of him. So whatever direction they go next year with catcher, uh, depending on what they do with Vasquez, because it is a terrible year for free agent catchers, like always, because, you know, usually you get one, you hold on to him. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to see Pulwaki back next year, and maybe he can work, uh, work on the defense a little bit, but eh, whatever, it, as long as the bat bad plays i'm happy with them it is kind of funny though how the red sox and cleveland basically just swapped catchers they were separate transactions but we got rid of sandy they took him yeah (laughs) yeah sandy will get a chance though to to catch in the postseason so um I hope that, you know, works out well. The Indians are a team that, that, uh, you know, I'm going to root for. And maybe they might be my favorite of the AL teams. I haven't really looked at it yet. But, um, you know, with the Francona connection and all their players are just really likable anyway. But, but yeah, so uh, let's see. Some honorable mentions here. Verdugo, his normal solid self, 3 for 12. Um, Bogart's four for 11 with a really good defense throughout the series. Bogart's did. Yeah. Okay. I missed uh, most of last night's game, but yeah, good. Um, Martinez not used to having him in the honorable mentions five mm. for 13. You just ha- don't want to get yelled at. Had, had <laughs> hits in every game. Well, we're not biased. We'll, we'll give him his due, <laughs> but if he's like, oh. if he's one for 13, the next series, then Charlie's on that show, so you, you know we know how that's going to go. Um, Just let him run. <laughs> yeah, Vasquez two for eight though had a really good um, uh, game one. Actually, his only hit was really it was a three run shot, but still pretty good. Yeah. Jackie Bradley, we'll get to him shortly. Four for eleven, good series. Dahlbeck three for nine. Chavis was two for nine, but the impressive stat here is that he didn't record one strikeout the whole series and he had, he did have a bad defensive game in game one uh, but had a laser beam throw tonight to to gun down a runner from left field so uh, see so yeah that about 
covers the honorable mentions. Can I throw one more out there? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's going to be Phillips Valdez for tonight when he hit Alberto straight in the balls and it was trying not to laugh the entire time. <laughs> he was on the mound. He was like literally trying not to crack up and they kept zooming in on his face because they didn't show the replay. <laughs> God knows we don't need to see that. But he was literally trying. He was like dying, not laughing there. It, it was just, it was amazing. I love Valdez. Yeah. Do you guys remember when N- Nunez took a shot in the nuts and oh, it was a couple, oh, yeah. it was a couple yeah. years ago and he, he was on the ground screaming in Spanish, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And Alex Cora, <laughs> you could just see him at the top of the dugout laughing his ass off. <laughs> it was I mean, sometimes when you get in the balls, it's just funny. And oh, tonight, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't even know how he nailed that guy. It was his third pitch. And it, like, it was like a slider. And it was just, he couldn't have, oh, like, he couldn't have aimed more yeah. perfectly. <laughs> I, I still remember the only time ever in my life I've ever felt bad for Yadier Molina is when he got smoked in the nuts <laughs> and had to go on the DL because of it. Uh, so good. Oh, what a segment. Yeah, <laughs> so hopefully he's probably icing him right now, actually. But um, getting into the duds for the series, which thanks to tonight, we do have some viable duds. So, uh, Jason, go ahead. Who's your dud? Uh, yeah, I'm going with Dylan Covey. Um, this is a guy that I do not want to see as a part of this team next year. Uh, he came in tonight, gave up three runs in three innings, uh, did not look good. And look, he's a guy that Kyan Bloom took a flyer on because he had one good stretch with the White Sox, I think like two years ago, where middle of the season, he just strung together a couple of good starts and looked like he actually had something. This guy has nothing. He's... His career record is 6-29. and 29. He has six wins and 29 losses. He has a career ERA of 6.54. He's 29 years old. This is not a guy that Kyan Bloom or the Red Sox should invest in. You took a flyer on him. I get it. He had good stuff at one point. Maybe he finds the magic again. Uh, the magic is all, is all gone. He has nothing. Um... I just I don't like his stuff. He's not good out of the bullpen. He's not a starter. Just and look, it, I get it. It's a little bit mean because you know, again, journeyman guy who's just trying to find his stuff again. But this is not a team where he's going to find that. You you got to rebuild. You got to get young guys in here. You know, a twenty nine year old with uh, a, a six point five career ERA. This is not a guy that you want on your team going forward. So hopefully um, he does not come back. I, I don't imagine that he will. Just let this guy go. You took a shot. You, you took a chance on him. It didn't work. Let him go. This guy is not good. Yeah, he's going to be one of like 15 guys that are DFA this, this, uh, <laughs> this winter. Um, he, he just doesn't have it it's all good i mean no one was expecting giant things out of him and whatever he ate some innings he did his job that way so he'll you know if we look back in 10 years be like 
old box score. Be like, who, who, who is he? Very forgettable pitcher. Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking some bullets for us. Yeah, I was at a game. I've mentioned this once previously. Um, I was Chris Sale was the pitcher for us that night, and he pitched a complete game. Only gave up one run. We lost that game one to nothing. And Dylan Covey was the opposing pitcher. I don't know how many innings he went, but uh, he pitched basically the game of his life. And hmm. yeah, so that was kind of dull. And uh, I, I was there the <laughs> next day for David Price's start. And annoyingly, he got the win, you know, because I, I had already hated his guts by then. But um, but yeah, so um, yeah. I'd love to go back and see how much like pine tar and bullfrog he had on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, maybe something, but he, he was definitely, we couldn't touch him that night. That was the uh, last year of John Farrell as well. So, you know, morale wasn't great yeah, at times. Don't talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So, all right. So, yeah, no one uh, likes Kobe, and he probably will not be back. He'll probably go to the Mariners next year or someone off. Maybe the Phillies. That would be a good spot for him. They, uh-huh. need, they need a sixth and an eighth inning, guys. So you never know. <laughs> yeah. They need the bridge to Hembry. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we can trade to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, give us Workman back. We'll give you Kobe. Yeah, <laughs> that, that would work out. Uh, who do you have, Andrew? Who's your dud? All right, I had Martin Perez, who, unlike Evaldi, or I guess polar opposite of Evaldi, finished the season on a very sour note, ended up saving the Red Sox about $150,000 on his contract next year because he only went four innings tonight and didn't hit one of his incentives. So uh, he'll be back next year. He was great other than tonight. He's going to look amazing as a fourth starter next year. Uh, got us a great loss tonight, so whatever. Thanks for coming, Martin. You literally did more than we could have ever asked you for. Um, pitch better than Garrett Cole for like eight-tenths of the season. Uh, <laughs> thank you for the memories. We'll talk again whenever next season starts. Yeah, I, I still like Martin Perez. I'm still glad that he's going to be back next year. Um, I do judge him a little bit for giving up a home run to Jose Iglesias because I don't know how that's humanly possible, <laughs> but he did. Um, so thanks for helping our draft position, I guess. I don't know. Um, he's a company man. Yeah, he's a company man. He he did his job. But no, in all seriousness, like I'm glad he's come. That they're probably gonna they're gonna bring him back next year. He'll be in that rotation. Look, I don't know if he's a half season pitcher. Or if you know he's going to figure something out and he'll be good over the stretch of 162, but this is a guy that the Red Sox should have in their rotation. Um, he provides some stability, and you might get nights like tonight where he just looks like trash and he, you know, just doesn't really have it. But at the end of the day, it's you know he's a good veteran pitcher, and um, Red Sox got him on a pretty good deal. So overall, I'm. I'm fine with him coming back. I have no problem there. His option is for six million, so extremely affordable. Um, you know, about a third of what Avoldi's making, and he'll probably pitch Great. a lot more innings. 
But, yeah, and you know what? The Orioles had his number this year because he gave up, I think, five runs in the second game of the season uh, when we opened up against them. And so just for whatever reason, you know, they have his number. And his ERA did go from 388 to 450 tonight, you know, after giving up six runs. But, But a lot of those, you know, this is inflated because he had four bad starts. You know, and he was very good, you know, in all the other starts. So I feel great if he's legitimately at the back end of our rotation next year. That just means we're we're solid above him, and and I think he's going to be back. And I like the oh, absolutely the clubhouse vibe he has as well. You always see him kind of goofing around with his teammates. You know, the one new thing this year is when a guy hits a home run, they put him in the laundry cart and wheel him across the dugout. And uh, more often than that, you'll see Perez, um, you know, pushing the cart. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I was pleasantly surprised. I got a motorcycle outside if, my building right now. If every team could see his end-of-year stats tonight, throw it out the window, would, there, he, would he have gotten – Four million dollars more per year, including the option year, than he did. I, I absolutely think he would have. Most likely, yeah. I think every team would have lined up to sign him. Yep. Right. And in the very low percentage chance we do, you know, not pick up the option, he's gonna he would have a million suitors. You know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, if they didn't, if they didn't re-sign him, I. Yeah. I, I never thought I'd be livid about losing a fourth starter, but I would be I'd be very angry <laughs> well, about that one. Well we better be getting Bauer and Lester if that happens. You know, not just one. <laughs> but yeah, so um not really much to mention in the way of uh, oh, oh I didn't get to mine. This is like the third time I've skipped myself. Um my dud for the series, I'm not gonna get on this guy too much because he's been a stud more often than not, but Rafael Devers did have a terrible series, one for thirteen. He had four strikeouts in the first game on Tuesday night, three strikeouts the next night, but he did re- redeem himself by driving in uh three runs in his one hit for the series. So um not a great series offensively. And didn't he have an error or two? Or am I wrong? Did he? I, I mean, I wouldn't doubt it, but yeah. tonight he was great in the field. Okay, yeah. I think if he did, yeah. it was Tuesday night. He, he had one error on Tuesday night. Yeah, that's what okay. it was. Okay. I couldn't remember if that was this series or the final game of the previous one. But, um, but yeah, so next season we might be – we might be harping on the left side of our infield, you know, de- defensively because, you know, Bogarts has had some issues. And if you guys notice with Bogarts when he has like an aggressive slide into second base or like an aggressive diving play, he looks kind of ginger getting up. Yeah. He's like Gronk whenever you get tackled. He'll be like, oh, get up, baby. Don't be hurt. Yeah. <laughs> like you're holding your breath every single time. So I just hope they're open-minded. I mean, we're going to have a hell of a logjam, you know, because Casas could be up next year. Dahlbeck is surprisingly hitting okay, you know, outside of that eight strikeout series he had, um, you know, hitting around 280 or so. And so he kind of figures to to be with us on opening day. And, 
and we're stuck with JD, so that's not going to free up the, the DH situation. So next year is going to be really interesting to see how the pieces fit, uh, no doubt. But all right, so um, just some topics to go over. First one, um, Peter Gammons with The Athletic, who is not always everybody's favorite writer, but um, he put out a report saying that the Red Sox are going to at least attempt to sign Jackie Bradley, but they could go the George Springer route as well. Um Andrew, I think you're going to have the hottest take on this, so go ahead. I hate it. I mean, I'm all for it five years ago, but this guy, do we really want to give him $25 million a year? We don't need to spend the money. Just because you have it doesn't mean you have to spend it. You're not going to lose it. Just hold on to it. There's much better options. Obviously, not so much in the outfield this coming this coming season. But who says no to giving Bradley seven, eight million a year for three years? He's not going to be a great hitter. Just accept it. He's streaky as all hell. He's going to hit two sixty if you're lucky. But he's the greatest Red Sox center fielder defensively that's ever played you know what you're gonna get and i'm all for it why bother doing this why spend money because it's burning a hole in your pocket i'll call carl crawford where you're like oh shit we signed him It, it doesn't make sense you don't need that offense spend it on pitching even though i'm not a giant fan of the starters out there just no one this the team we have right now is a good playoff team if we have pitching and we've seen that over the last week when our ragtag group of starters have you know kind of got the crap together so forget springer you're gonna pay more for him to sit on the dl fans are gonna hate him the pressure's gonna get to him he's gonna hate the city he's probably a yankees fan anyways so just just steer clear. Someone please God outbid us. That would be the ultimate Larry Lucchino signing, and I'm already going gray because of it. <laughs> I, uh, oh boy. I can't believe the words that are about to come out of my mouth, but I'm going to say them anyway. Um, please sign Jackie Bradley and not George Springer. Yes. Because, first of all, George Springer's older. He's going to be 31. Now, that's not a huge age difference, but George Springer, because of his injuries, might as well be like 34. Um, he's not as good defensively. He's had He had zero outfield assists the last like two years. So he's not as good defensively as Bradley. Is he a better hitter? Yeah, when he's in his prime, but that was 2019. Um, he's... He hasn't put it together consistently. 2018, he only hit 265 with 22 home runs. And I'd be willing to bet that if Jackie Bradley, you know, really turns it on, he could have a similar season. So, and Springer's going to command a much higher price tag because he's coming from a prominent organization that has been playoff contenders for years. Um, he's going to make a lot of money based on his 2019 numbers. So he's going to command a huge price tag. 
Um, and I just, I just don't want him. I like, I'm all set with George Springer. I, I agree with Andrew. Like I would have wanted him five, six years ago when he was really in his prime and he was still young and there was potential there. But now I look at him and I'm like, this guy's going to be Kevin Pillar in a year or two. Oh, God. He's, he's going to be a good player. He's still going to put up decent numbers, but we're going to look at his age and we're going to go, wow, he's already 33, 34. Wow. I didn't realize he was that old. Like George When's Springer. When's he going to play his first game off the DL? Well, that too, right? So he, <laughs> he goes on the, on the DL too much and say what you want about Jackie Bradley, and I've said plenty about him, but he stays off the IL for the most part. So I feel like Jackie will be healthy. He'll give you better defense in center field than Springer can. Does he have as good of a bat? Probably not. No, probably over the course of a whole season, Springer will hit a little bit better. But I don't know. I feel like Jackie is the better option at this point for this team because I don't think that Duran is ready. I don't think you have a whole ton of outfield depth. And Jackie will come at half the price tag that Springer will. So, yeah, I never envisioned myself saying it, but please don't sign George Springer. If, you, if you're if you going to sign anybody, sign Jackie Bradley, bring him back here. If it's two, three years at, you know, whatever, $7 million, $8 million, I guess I can live with that. I won't love it, but I would rather they do that than splurge and sign George Springer to some stupid four-year contract where they're paying him 15 to 20 million which some stupid team is going to do probably the angels like some stupid team is going to sign this guy and pay him way too much money and they're going to regret it so don't be that team bring back jackie if you get up bring back anybody um i don't love it but i like it better than springer for sure two points and i'll make it quick one to what you said about duran yeah he's probably not ready no need to put pressure on him Jackie Bradley can take his uh, regular spot in center field until he is ready. It's not going to be hard to trade Bradley's contract if you wanted to do so. Eat $4 million a year, $5 million a year, and guess what? You're going to get a good player in return. Secondly, here is what we're looking at with George Springer. Let's go to his injury history. From May 25th to June 25th of last year, he missed 31 days with a hamstring injury. In 2018, he missed two weeks with a thumb injury. In 2017, he missed two weeks with a quad injury. In 2015, he missed 65 days with a wrist injury. And also, right before that, he missed eight games with a concussion. So is that really what we want to see? How many guys get more durable as they age and as they make more guaranteed money, which they don't really have to sell out their bodies for? So if you want Springer because he's hot, he's sexy, pick, you know, you you got to brag that the Red Sox signed someone over the free agent uh, period and um, God knows who his agent is. It's probably not Boris. But if, you know, you sign the hottest girl at the ball – Congratulations, you get him, and then you're going to be mad when he buys your jersey. So prepare yourselves if you do. That's all I got to say. Don't do it. Yeah, he's he's right-handed Jacoby Ellsbury. Uh-huh. He, re- he really is. He's yeah. the right-handed version of Jacoby Ellsbury. And by the way, like, and I've said this before, but he's not local. He's from Connecticut. As Andrew said, <laughs> he's probably a Yankees fan. He's probably a Jets fan. Like, he did not grow up pining to play in Fenway Park or 
dreaming of hitting balls off the wall of the green monster. No, no, no. He grew up in Connecticut. Connecticut doesn't count. That's not local. We should annex Connecticut from New England to begin with. It doesn't yeah. count. So they're tri-state now. Get yeah, out of here. You don't want this guy. Yeah, you can put me in the in the same camp. The one category he does, he's very consistent with is he hits a lot of bombs. You know, 2018 was basically the lowest year. You know, since you know 2016, so he he hit 22 that year. Um, 13 this year, so that would have put him on pace for probably 35 to 40. Um, good OBP guy. You know, he's a career 360 on-base guy, so that looks pretty good. But he is 31 years old. He just turned 31, actually, six days ago. Probably going to command at least a five-year deal, assuming it's a normal market, which could be a big assumption because you know, the the whole COVID and we don't know if fans are going to be able to attend games right away. Um, this just, even if the injuries weren't a concern, it's just not the right timing, you know, as Andrew was kind of getting at. We've got a log jam. You got Verdugo for four more years after this. Duran will be an everyday outfielder if not this coming season probably the next season and beyond we still got to figure out what the hell's going on with Andrew Benintendi and I know Chavis had a had a bad game the other night defensively but he'll get it I feel like and I think he's going to be the super utility guy anyway the Johnny Gomes type guy so you've you've got a lot of depth you know, as far as the outfield goes. And we need starting pitching. We need starting pitching. And we've got to extend Raphael Devers, you know. So it's just this isn't the place for for Springer. And he could be the guy, once he does get paid, maybe the effort drops off a little bit. Maybe he's quicker to uh, not play through an injury and not be a gamer. Um, so th- those are my thoughts. And Bradley, he's this is the second best season he's had. And I'll even say this. You, you can say it's a short sample size, but based on his plate discipline alone, the fact that he's not lost up there, he's not having ugly at-bats, I think even in a in a 162 game season, he he probably would have hit 250, 260 anyway. I'd easy. Lo- I'd love easy 260. Yeah, I'd love for him to find the power he had in 2016, but you know, but if this year is what he's going to give us for the next three or four, then so be it. The market. And let's not forget the reason, like, he has these dips in average and power. It's because he gets hurt going all out in the outfield. And he's saving runs left and right. I don't care what the metrics say that it's like, oh, he's lost a step. Well, guess what? He was way above average. So even if he's lost a step, he's still better than nine tenths of the guys out there. Well, he could slot over to left and be the greatest left fielder of all time, oh, you know, for the next stupid. 10 years. <laughs> It'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
to Jason's point about the Angels, um, I was actually looking at Springer's numbers. You'd be shocked, but uh, yeah, his uh, second best stadium is actually in LA. He's have he's had 13 home runs there. He's had 79 at Houston, and at Fenway, he's only hit 273. So it's not like he's one of those guys that comes in and just mashes. Keep him away. Let him be Justin Upton part two in L.A. where Mike Trout says, here we go again, and just give him a crappy player to play next to. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm actually kind of hoping that uh, when Springer does hit free agency that he comes out with these stupid comments of, well, you know, growing up in Connecticut, I always dreamed of playing in the pinstripes, and then Brian Cashman <laughs> gives him a stupid contract and you know to replace Brett Gardner, and they end up overpaying for him. Um, yeah, I, I'm fine with Jackie coming back. I actually like how Jackie's hit the ball the opposite way this this year too. I True. feel like that's a new wrinkle that he's developed and that he's really kind of mastered. So, look, the power is not what it used to be with him. I agree. I, I wish he could refine that power again. But if he just continues to slap the ball the opposite way and hit 260 and play good defense, I, I'm fine with that. Bring him back for that. He's been pelting yeah, the mean, monster. We don't need we don't need thirty home runs from center field. If we're gonna get fifteen to twenty from right, we're gonna get thirty from short, thirty from third, thirty from first, we're gonna be fine. Thirty from DH. Just let it roll. You just need occasionally you need those guys that are just defensive studs that are gonna save your ass every so often when you have your third, fourth, and fifth starter letting up uh, some contact. The, the signals are very mixed on what the front office might do. Um, you did have Bloom say right after the deadline, we hope we have him for a while. And, you know, but then on the other hand, I mean, you've got the Nesson guys all night. Oh, this could be the last at bat at Fenway for Jackie Bradley. Oh, that might be the last epic defensive play for Jackie Bradley. You know, and I mean, then... Yeah. His wife on Instagram took a picture today, a family picture of the three of them saying, oh, this could be our last picture in a Red Sox uniform. So you're you're hearing all of that, but then the Gammons report comes out and it's just extremely mixed. And I mean, I don't know if an epic series against Atlanta, you know, if he does hit a couple of bombs and makes a couple of really good plays, I don't know if that's going to elevate his his value in the off season real quick. I don't think he's going to sign automatically like, like Xander did. I, I think Boris is going to get him to test the market. And I think even though Bradley has had a solid year in the back of his mind, he might be thinking, well, what if I don't next year? You know, so I got to get all that I can this year financially. And so Maybe on his own accord, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't come back, but, um, you know, but. Yeah. And then you have, you do have that other question where I doubt they would do it, but if they think Duran is the real deal, do they offer him arbitration? He's not, you probably wouldn't say no to it. Well, what do you mean? Uh, are you the qualifying offer? Oh, Bradley. Offer, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, do you offer him seventeen million? Because you say whatever, it's way too much for one year, but it is one year. 
that's an interesting, uh, you know, that's an interesting idea. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. The only question I have about that is for a team that is, you know, for the last year and a half has been so much like, oh, we're trying to save money. We don't, you know, we we didn't want to sign Mookie because it'd be too much money. Like to then offer a guy like Jackie Bradley one year, seventeen million. I, that'd be a really tough look to sell, and I feel like it Tom would, Werner, yeah. Tom Werner himself would be like, "No, I I can't sell this to the fan base. Like they they already hate us." No, it would it would definitely be sticker shock um, in year one, but you gotta look at it and say the twenty twenty class of free agents is kind of trash. It really is not that good. The twenty one twenty 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 two class is a lot better unfortunately it's strong at positions where you have guys that you know are your building blocks but at the same point you might have to start thinking about moving them to fill in other holes if you can signs of free agents a la you know trevor story nolan arenado javi baez chris bryant all these guys are going to be available to the highest bidder you know come next december well you also you could go back to kevin pilar if if money were a concern you know so that that's an option yeah no i'm oh i i liked pilar here and and he got his good prospect in return so i'd I'd take him again i like his his presence better than bradley's because he's just a gamer you know like let's go let's go let's go bradley's a little more passive and uh, you know i just feel like you could have a like a 2004 effect where just you got a lot of strong personalities out there not necessarily negative ones you know like price and um lackey i mean i hate to bash lackey but he he wasn't very pleasant at times and yeah so it's tough to say can i get super off topic here really quick sure so what if they bring Jackie Bradley back for one year, good money, and then Raphael Devers, again, shows he might be better suited as a first baseman or DH. Do you trade him the following year and sign one of Arenado, Chris Bryant, Eduardo Escobar, or Trevor Story, and try to get a left fielder or center fielder in return? I think that I think Bloom's got to look kind of at all of his options here, as in terms of building the team for the future. And this goes back to my don't pay Springer right now and keep that money available. Yeah, I don't even know. Isn't isn't Arenado locked in? He's got an opt out, and the other day he um, pretty much he his comments. He's fed up out here in Colorado yeah. because the owners here suck. Um, the he's absolute douchebag, quite frankly. I, he was like responding to fan mail when he can email the club. He was like, "Maybe you guys don't deserve a team." This was a few years ago. Uh, they they just care about selling tickets to away team uh, fans, and he's sick of losing. So I I could absolutely think that 
Scott Boris is going to work around. He's not going to go by the books and wait till the guy opts out. He's going to talk to other teams and find out if, hey, will you match his contract right now? He will opt out. Kind of my thing. only, yeah, my only question with that is I feel like if you're a guy like Arenado, who's, I think, the best third baseman in, in baseball, um, you're going to be looking around and the Red Sox need to bolster that rotation and that whole pitching staff first. Because he's going to look at it and go, you know what? That pitching staff isn't good enough to win. Um, team A, Team B, and T- Team C have better pitching rotations. And if they add me to the lineup, we can be a World Series threat. Whereas if I go to Boston, sure, I'll, I'll get paired with Xander Bogarts, who's a good player. I don't think many in baseball consider him a great player. Um, you've got who knows what J.D. Martinez is going to be doing. He might still be slumping. <laughs> Um, and you've got what Chris Sale coming off Tommy John and Erod coming off of um you know a big time COVID related injury. Like I feel like Arenado's going to look around and go, no, there there are better options in Boston. Maybe I'll go to the White Sox who are on the come, or maybe I'll go to Oakland or you know like I just feel like there'll be better options for him. So I don't know if that's feasible until we really bolster the starting rotation and the bullpen. If they don't sign Springer, let me throw this one out here. This could be a Lackey and Crawford conversation. What if you signed Arenado and Noah Syndergaard in 21-22? Cuz you could you could make the the uh the pitch to Nolan. You could never be more marketable than you could be here. You can be on Sunday night baseball 15 times this season. You know, just like you on the cover of like God knows what magazine will still be around post-COVID if uh, Under Armour is doing something or something. I don't know. I I just think there's options around where we don't want to spend our money this season. I want to spend it next offseason. I guess that's my greater point. I'm not sure Hein Bloom is the type of guy who's going to value a, a contract like what Arenado has. Now, he does have six years remaining um, after this year with an opt-out in there. Um, so it's, it's tough to say he does have a shoulder issue. I don't know what the severity is of that, but he's not going to be playing at this point. And this is Arenado again. Um, so that's a little bit of a, a concern as well as for whether the team looks attractive or not. If we do get one free agent pitcher this offseason, it'll be someone of quality, probably someone we're going to be somewhat optimistic about. And then if you can tell me right now, which is impossible, but hypothetically, if you just say Tanner Houck's going to have a very solid year next year, I would take that with the free agent pitcher. I think the rest of our pitching staff by hook or by crook works it out. You know, Evaldi and Perez are solid at points. You get Sale back. Maybe you get Mata late in the year. Yeah, I was going to say, don't forget about Mata there. I yeah. think he's going to be pushing for the rotation. So I think I think Boston will be attractive enough. I think just looking at it right now, just what we're seeing in the last couple of series, the culture is good. You know, there's they're still having fun, even though they're not going to be making the playoffs. So... I think it, it will be a little uh, attractive, so uh, we'll we'll just see there. Um, 
just to kind of segue, maybe the manager might help. I mean, if he knows who he's playing for. Um, Ron Rennick. Oh, they'll love playing for Cora. <laughs> stop beating that dead horse. Go on. Well, if we're, if we're hiring Cora, then we're definitely going to sign Springer. You know that's coming. Let's, oh, yeah. let's have a reunion, shall we? Two uh, yeah. But uh, Ron Renicky apparently expects to talk to Hein Bloom at some point this weekend. I guess Bloom is going to Atlanta for the series. Um, so I guess the interesting thing is could there be an announcement before the end of Sunday's game? Typically they have a end-of-the-season press conference and maybe an announcement can come on that day, which would probably be Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. So I'm just going to say this with Renicky, and then you guys can weigh in. If we don't have an answer one way or the other by Friday, a week from tomorrow, if we don't have an answer as to whether or not he's going to be the manager, then he's not going to be the manager. But yeah, I... Um I think there's yeah. a realistic chance, you know, 40-ish percent chance that he, he could. They could just name him the manager. But but I think we'll know by, you know, a week from tomorrow. I mean, it's not going to be a feral in Dombrowski like, hey, do you know what's going on situation where you announce it at the press conference. I think Bloom is going to be straightforward with Renicky. I think if the media asks Renicky what's going on, he's going to say, I need to take some time this offseason to talk to my family. And that's code for they're looking around. They're going to make it sound amicable. And if certain guys are protected that they want to interview or potentially bring in, like that guy from uh, Tampa, I'm blanking on his name right Matt, now, Matt that you, you brought up. Yeah, I think then they would go back to Renicky and not really kind of drag him throughout all this. I think that they will definitely do their due diligence, but be respectful to Renicky at the same time. Can Is being a bench coach under the new manager viable? Because I think that would just be an no. awkward transition. No, 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 absolutely not. I don't, that's, that's a demotion. Um, I don't think it's as serious in baseball as it is in like another sport like football or basketball where all of a sudden you're a coordinator and an assistant coach that you know you could clearly see you were pushed off on the sideline. But I, I just don't think they would do that to Renicky. And I think he would probably get another position elsewhere. If, you know, you I don't think he'd go to the minors. Uh, I don't think it would be that fall from grace for him. I think they would let him uh, take his talents elsewhere. What are your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, go ahead, Jason. It, a lot of it's going to depend on who's available. Is Matt, is Matt Contrero available? Like, is he, you know, getting ready to take over a manager position somewhere else? Because for all we know, he's he's not. Maybe he wants to stay in Tampa, and um, unless Kyan Bloom has a good list of of viable candidates who are ready to be the next manager of the Boston Red Sox, he might just bring Renicky back. 
you know, and, and honestly, that's kind of what I'm expecting. I'm, I'm expecting an announcement sometime in the next week for them to say, we're going to bring Ron Radicke back for the 2021 season. Um, because I think at this point, especially with, we don't know what next season's going to look like schedule wise or, you know, any of that. I just think they're going to bring him back because he's already said he wants to do it. Um, he's motivated, you know, he, he wants the job and they've already got him in house. And I think Bloom's just going to say, okay, you know, we've got a lot of work to do with the roster. We've at least got a manager who knows what he's doing. Let's just bring him back and, uh, we'll, you know, we'll do the manager search another year, but for now, let's just bring Ron back. Uh, That's, that's what I'm expecting. Yeah. As far as Quattrero goes, I don't think the team can hold him back like they can't prevent him from being promoted. Um, And I don't know if that's per the union or if it's just, you know, kind of a time honored tradition type thing. But typically these guys can interview. We saw Lavello do it with the Diamondbacks. And of course there was the Hazen connection anyway, because he came from here. But, um, but yeah, if it is Renicky, then that just tells me the decision was probably made a few weeks ago or, or maybe even longer than that. We Sam Kennedy did say that during an interview with WEI that Renicky's done a fantastic job. So he got a little bit of an endorsement there. Um, so it's just, it's tough. And when you listen to Renicky talk, he kind of talks like he's going to be the manager next year because, you know, when he's talking about Chavis, like, yeah, we need him, we need him good to go over here. You know, that way he can just kind of build on that next year. And this is what we're working on with this guy. And, and he just, he's talking about stuff that's, you know, months away and so it's tough to really get a read on it, but we'll know. We'll know, like I said, you know, a week from tomorrow what the what the deal is. But I could go either way. I'm not going to go on a tirade. I kind of do like Renicky, but um, but if Bloom wants his guy and that's that's the way he wants to go, then then I'm fine with that too. I really am. You know, we Can have. I- Go ahead. Can I throw one name out there. Go ahead. That I don't think has been mentioned. Um, he was interviewed by the Giants. Uh, I think he was interviewed. I know at least they talked about it, and that was Raul Banez. And right now he's a special assistant for the Dodgers, and we all know the Andrew Friedman. Um, relationship with High and Bloom. So I wonder if that could be a uh, kind of outside the box, at least second interview for the Red Sox this offseason. Wouldn't surprise me. And you guys mentioned in the kind of the the pre-show before we went live, Sandy Alomar was brought up. And who was the second option? Uh, Mark Loretta. Mark Loretta, yeah. And he, I think, was the finalist to uh, David Ross with the Cubs job. And, and I think he was in, on a short list for another team as well. The Padres uh, had interviewed him as well. Okay, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, so some of these guys have been on the cusp of, of getting 
jobs. And uh, an example of a guy who got turned down a couple of times, he got turned down by the Blue Jays, he got turned down initially by the Red Sox in the John Farrell sweepstakes, was actually Tori Lovello. And then Tori Lovello ended up being the bench coach uh, for us anyway, but kind of whiffed on a few opportunities. You know, he was just kind of the runner-up and went to Arizona and has really done a phenomenal job, I feel like. Um, You know, makes a lot, you know, out of nothing almost. So, um, and then he was really impressive with us. So some of these guys that come up a little short might end up being really impressive. And don't, uh, don't sleep on Eric Chavez either. He's another guy that I, I would actually be very interested in, especially with helping Devers, uh, kind of acclimate to third base a little bit better, Hmm. better than he has this season. Um, I think he's, I think he's with the angels right now as a special assistant. God knows what that title means, but yeah, I know he, his name was thrown around a little off season for a couple of the teams looking for, to fill in their managerial position. So it sounds like you're off the core punch anyway. I am. I, I realized when I gotta, I, you gotta, you gotta fold them occasionally. I, I would love it, and I guess that's where my Abanez and Chavez uh, names come through here. Um, just guys that that are young, not to be an ageist, but I know I talked about this to you um, months ago after all the core firings. Like, I want to, I want to, I want young blood out there. I want someone with a modern take on the game that knows how today's ball player functions because they don't they aren't the, these aren't the same guys as in the 90s like what the renekis of the worlds are used to dealing with these guys need to be handled differently i don't i mean that's not taking a shot at anyone by any means it these guys have just been brought up differently throughout their uh travel days and playing different different leagues uh as they grew up they were just handled differently so i wouldn't mind seeing fresh blood a fresh perspective uh being on the team for the next 10 years yeah i i agree with that i it's weird like i just i want a former player and i want a former player who played recently within the last 10 to 15 years not just you know oh he played back in the 80s like I, I like the names of Ibanez and Loretta and even Alomar, you know, even though it was a long time ago for him. Um, and Eric Chavez, too. Like, I think these were guys who were smart players throughout their whole careers. They were professionals. They didn't cause any problems or drama throughout their careers. Like, they just, they were stout and, and they, they learned the game. And I feel like the, those were guys that, while they were playing, they were almost grooming themselves to be managers later on, you know, after their playing days. So I would love to see one of the, one of those guys take over. You know who would, you know what my ultimate nightmare scenario is? Uh, I think, but say it. Go ahead. <laughs> Are you going to say Veritech? No, no, I, I would, I'd be somewhat open to that, especially <laughs> compared to the guy I'm about to get to. Uh, would be it would be Dustin Pedroia. I would hate that oh, so bad. Oh. I was hanging up. You, no, come on. 
You guys haven't been with me long enough, but I just wasn't a Dustin Pedroia guy. He was just always a little too over the top for me, and um, I, I didn't really start to hate the guy until 2017. Um, you know, his, the injuries were cropping up. I hated the Machado thing that happened. I just don't think he handled that situation very well. The Eckersley incident happened shortly after that, and I, I just feel like... It's so ironic that Ortiz is off the team for basically three in-season months. You know, he retired at the end of 2016. And now Dustin Pedroia has the team, and it's just complete turmoil. <laughs> and well, He's still on the roster next season, he, right? He is, but I, I could see an outside-the-box <laughs> move. Not necessarily with Bloom, I guess. But, but here's another thing, and I don't know how you guys feel about Chris Russo. A lot of people hate him because he screams all the time. But, but he does make a good point in these situations. If a general manager hires a player from that market, to be the next manager what can happen in those situations is the fan base will side with the player that became the manager and you know then the gm starts taking all the heat so it can be extremely uncomfortable that way and the player could be hard to fire if he just wasn't managing well so it's it's a delicate situation that's exactly it's exactly what Bloom needs to do is take more heat from idiot fans who already hate him for trading Mookie bets. <laughs> even though it wasn't even <laughs> his choice to come in and go, yeah, I'm going to tear this mother effer down. Like, yeah, there's there's no rhyme or reason for High End Bloom to put more pressure on himself to give Pedroia a good look out there. No, I, luckily I don't think that's going to be a thing. Hey, maybe down the road he can go like, coach Arizona for a couple of years and work his way up. I'm sure he'd be a great bench coach for a while. I don't just, I don't, let him, I, I just don't see him. Send him That's somewhere else. Pedroia, yeah. Pedroia to me strikes me as like a college bench coach. Like he needs to be coaching a bunch of kids who are much younger than him because amongst like veteran players, he doesn't command respect. And I like the guy. I, you know, he's, you know, look, it, his career is probably over, and he was a very good player. He has sort of a faux MVP in 08, but he's he doesn't command respect amongst veteran players. Now, you know, college kids, high school kids, maybe. Like, I could see him doing that, but coaching at the major league level, I no, I can't see that. Yeah. yeah, go coach like an SEC or Big Twelve or Big Ten, whatever that conference is nowadays. School, um, just be a local legend. Live off all that stuff for the next forty years. We can watch you get ejected and throw a base in like twenty thirty eight. It, it'll be great. Just just deal with that. My favorite, one of my favorite comebacks in a Twitter war when I'm fighting with one of my haters about Pedroia. My favorite card to play, and I play it right at the very end, I always like to say, he didn't even go to Johnny Pesky's funeral. And then it's just like, it's like the, you know, the perfect nuclear bomb. Because, you know, everybody loves to defend his character, you know, his his fans and whatnot. But, but yeah. So. Yeah, Terry, Terry, he was a dirt dog. We <laughs> love dirt dogs here in Boston. You know, his uniform was never clean. I mean... 
the, come on how can you not love the guy the machado thing though was like i didn't realize how dumb the red sox fan base was until that incident because the on friday night machado slides into him a dirty slide an unnecessarily dirty slide he could have slid in cleanly it wouldn't have even been a close play but he was a punk and he he spiked him on the back of his leg and that really ended his career basically <laughs> it just was never 100%. was never yeah. right for him after that. So all the Red Sox fans in unison was like slamming Machado like, oh, he's a punk. He's a punk. Less than 48 hours later, Pedroia sells out the bullpen and everybody loves Machado at that point. Oh, Machado's a great guy. Petey likes him and, and, and Matt Barnes was the bad guy because shame on him. You know, he threw at, he, he shouldn't have thrown at his head anyway. And, you know, it's just it's just how flip-floppy Red Sox fans Yeah, can no, be. that's exactly where I was standing with them. I love Pedroia. I loved watching him day in, day out. But, yeah, that was the only thing that uh, kind of I soured on him a little bit. Uh, man, I guess I shouldn't because it's his career. But I, I didn't like that. I was more pissed off about Machado than he was, especially when he didn't want to fight. Well, not him personally, but he didn't want other people to fight for him. I, that that kind of that annoyed me a little bit. Well, let me ask you this, and then we'll we'll wrap. Um, if David Ortiz doesn't retire in in twenty sixteen, and he he sticks around for that one last season, and he's in the dugout several feet away from Pedroia, does Pedroia does that controversy happen on David Ortiz's watch? I I think it's unlikely. Yeah, probably unlikely. The o- the only caveat there is, you know, by that point maybe Ortiz was so tired of all the crap and, you know, if that was his final year, maybe he just goes, "You know what? I don't care. You guys want to pick a fight with Machado, go ahead." Like I'm not getting involved, but I do think that Ortiz commanded a certain level of respect in that dugout. So maybe it didn't. I don't know. And not just that dugout, but other dugouts too. I, I could easily see him want like dragging Machado off to the side, be like, "Dude, cut the shit! Like this isn't how you do it." Right. Yeah. So hopefully the day Pedroia becomes a manager is is wearing another <laughs> team's yeah. uniform. You know, he's from the West Coast, so maybe San Fran, Seattle, somewhere like that might uh, reach out to him. Uh, super, super quick because we're an hour and a half in. Um, three games set against Atlanta. The first game's kind of a dud game. Chris Meza versus Kyle Wright. Both guys getting knocked around. Similar ERAs this year. Similar strikeouts, too. They're only three strikeouts apart. Um, so that that could just be an ugly game, you know, and, you know, the, the team that matches the most is going to come away with that one. Two more games, uh, a little more interesting. Tanner Houck will take the Saturday start against TBD. Uh, interesting thing there, his scoreless outing streak is on the line, so we'll see if he can get out of that game scoreless. Odds probably aren't with him, especially if Acuna is in the lineup. But um, a powerhouse lineup, so we'll, we'll get to see him tested there. And then on the final game, we'll have Nick Pavetta one more time. And 
facing a team that should be pretty familiar with him uh, being in the the same division that, that he's pitched in. So any thoughts there? Yeah, this is so hard for me. Like, I want all of them to throw like a AJ Burnett no hitter loss where they just let up eight walks and a couple sack fly runs and still get shut out. Like, this sucks that I got hurt against Pavetta and Hauk because we can't afford to win these games. This is a tough. This is the toughest stretch of the season for me right now. We'll just bring in Matt yeah. Hall after Hauk, and that that should solve <laughs> that one. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was gonna say just uh, bring in Dylan Covey you know, <laughs> yeah. to, to pitch out of the bullpen in both games and and you'll be all set. But uh, you don't earn a ten million dollar contract if you pulled that off. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Whoever blows this gets a big extension, <laughs> or maybe John Henry will buy him a yacht or something, something cool. Pair of headphones like they did in uh, that was the Bobby Valentine year. I remember that. Yeah, (laughs) when everyone on the team hated each other. Yeah, that was the Cody Ross year. I I liked him a lot, and I was bummed when they didn't. The delightful Cody Ross, as Larry Lucchino put it. Yeah, and then they didn't keep Mm -hmm. him. I think he went to Arizona. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, oh well. All right, good show, guys. We went late, but whatever. Sure, the audience will like it. And uh, we'll just – well, Jason, you'll be back for some playoff, and Andrew will will pull you off yep. the bench here and there. But Yeah, uh, I can fill in for some playoffs for sure. Just let me know which games to watch, and I got you on that one. Yeah. And then if there's any news, you definitely cover that day-to-day basis. Yeah, we'll be doing the hot stove, you know, mismatch, you know, whoever's available type thing, and we'll, uh, we'll record throughout the winter, so – Yeah, have a good night, guys. Take care. All right, see you. Episode 220 in the books. We do have one more kind of a regular season episode that we'll record on Sunday, but that will be with Charlie and Al. So um kind of an end to a really weird year and it's probably going to get weirder you know with uh you know real life stuff anyway because the election's coming up and a lot of different activism which you know going on regardless of what side of the you know political spectrum you're on so hopefully once uh christmas comes and goes and the, the snow falls and whatnot you know we'll uh we'll get a fresh start next year with a more normal season so but whenever there's uh developments we're still gonna be here and uh i've been doing those bonus segments as well so i'm sure i can come up with some excuses to do some of those so have a good weekend everyone and we'll be back with you for your monday morning commute take care